You are listening to The Overwhelmed Brain. Today's episode is brought to you by GetOutOfTheMess.com. Let Asha, your Legal Shield associate, connect you to a legal insurance plan that's right for you. Quality attorneys at established law firms for about $20 a month. That's so affordable! Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old, rehashed, personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to Think positively and all your problems will go away. If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, personal empowerment coach and host of this show I call The Overwhelmed Brain. This is the personal growth show for the critical thinker. On every episode, we'll talk about practical, down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. Everything I talk about on this show should not be mistaken for actual medical advice or treatment and is intended to be for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult your physician before making any changes to your medical treatment. What you'll find here is an increase in your emotional intelligence, a strengthening of your self-worth and self-esteem, the motivation to be your authentic self, and the forward momentum to help you learn, heal, grow, and evolve. All right, I'm going to share with you a conversation that I had with a good friend of mine who is in business for herself. She's self-employed. She's online doing her thing, and she's really trying to figure out what works for her. She's trying to figure out what she can do in this world that she can not only make a living at, but also enjoy and be passionate about and continue doing. And you know, I called her today. I haven't talked to her in months. And I, I said, I got to call this person. So I did. And we connected and uh, we started talking about her business. And um, it, it really turned into a business coaching call uh, because I saw something in what she was doing that she apparently couldn't see. And I, I want to mention this because what was happening to her happens to so many of us, including myself. There was a point in time where this happened to me as well. What was happening to her is she was comparing her level of progress to other people. And um, I didn't get this until, you know, about 75% of the way in of our call. And I noticed, what is she doing here? Wait a minute. She says that her YouTube videos don't get 100,000 views they only get 5,000 views. Therefore, she's not a success. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> How long have you been doing this? And she said, well, I've been doing this a few months. And I said, How many views do you have on YouTube? And I looked up her channel and she has thousands, thousands of views. And I was like, do you realize how difficult it is to get thousands of views on a YouTube video in this sea of competition? And she goes, why? Is that a good number? I was like, is it a good number? <laughs> and I, I really had to, I don't know, pound it into her head and tell her what you've created in just a few months is mind-blowing. 
and she gave me her number of subscribers, which she wants to keep private, which is fine, but it's a lot. And if you've ever done anything on YouTube, to get to 100 views is phenomenal. To get to 1,000 views is a miracle. To get to 10,000 views is just like that's when it starts to really pick up steam and you're just like, wow, this came out of nowhere. My podcast actually goes onto YouTube as an audio-only video. If that doesn't make sense, then look up The Overwhelmed Brain uh, in YouTube and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But there are people that use that medium to listen to. They're walking around the house. They can turn YouTube on their smart TV or you know their phone or whatever, and they stream it and they listen. So there are people that do that. And uh, I don't have a quarter of the subscribers on YouTube uh, as she does on her channel. I mean, I don't have a, 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 a 64th <laughs> subscribers that she has. Now, I have a lot of subscribers to this podcast. I mean, very, very many. And she's like, yeah, but I don't have as many subscribers as you do, Paul. I was like, are you kidding me? You just showed me the proof of concept that what you're doing is the right thing. Because our call was about her not believing that she's doing the right thing and maybe her not being as passionate as she can be and maybe not making the money that she needs to. And I'm like, you just, you've just proven the concept. It's called proof of concept. You come out with something, it becomes popular pretty quickly. That's usually proof of concept and you can expand upon it. But she's got this dark cloud of doubt that is over her head in almost everything she does. I mean, I've known her for years. And I said, you, you know, you've got to get rid of this dark cloud that follows you around and says that you are not allowed to be a success. And I think that resonated with her because I think it's true. I think a lot of us carry this dark cloud of doubt, of not being able to be a success, uh, afraid to be a success, afraid to do something that we want to do because of the fear of some consequence that we are, are either making up or that we've been convinced will happen or that we've seen happen before. Therefore, it will happen again. I mean, we carry around these what you might hear people call limiting beliefs. I believe that I can't be a success. Therefore, I won't try as hard. And I was telling my friend, I'm like, you know, have you ever read the book Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And she's like, of course. And I'm like, yes, everyone who's an entrepreneur, everyone who does anything online is always recommended to read that book. If you haven't read that book, it's a good book. It's decent. It, it teaches some very fundamental concepts of being successful. And a lot of it is psychological. But one thing that I took away from that book is something that wasn't even written in the book. But the underlying theme was there and I totally got it and it, it changed my reality. It changed my perspective. It changed my course in the sense that once I put the pieces together, connected all the dots of the underlying message of that book, I started to become more successful. Now, I think I read this book after my bankruptcy. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't remember when I read the book, but, um, even if my bankruptcy happened afterward, I was able to get out of that bankruptcy because of this one concept. The concept, it is this, and you may not like it. <laughs> the concept is this, and I'll explain it in a moment. It is you put all your time, energy, and focus 
into what you're doing until you're either exhausted or dead. (laughs) So that might rub you the wrong way, but that was the underlying message that I got from this book. Let me tell you what that does. If you adopt this and you're working on something, whether it's a project, whether it's a relationship, whether it's personal growth, whether it's your health or whatever it is, and you put that much time, energy, and focus into what you're doing, you're either going to be a huge success or a huge failure. And both are great. Both are great. It is great to put all this time, energy, and focus, and sometimes a lot of money, into something where you either succeed or fail. Because what happens is, whether you succeed or fail, you move forward with new learnings, with new lessons, with new ideas, with new experiences. And when you fail, you move forward with what not to do. So that when you do become successful, you do not introduce the failure into your success. Does that make sense? You fail, you learn what not to do, and then later on you succeed and you start to succeed even more, but that failure is already out of the way. It's already learned. This is why I love the idea of you put all your time, energy, focus, and sometimes even lots and lots of money to find out if it's going to be a big success or a big failure. I don't recommend you put tons of money into it. I think you can put a lot of hard labor into something without pouring money into it. But sometimes that is the path. Sometimes you are pouring money into something. Don't make yourself broke doing it. Have some sort of income. If you have to uh, take a side job to get some more income to do something like that. Not that I'm turning this into a business coaching segment or anything. I just wanted to say that the message I got from Think and Grow Rich is that you pour your heart into it until you find out if it's a success or a failure. That's what I do with this show. That's what I do with everything in the overwhelmed brain. I'm, I keep putting my heart, my soul into everything that I do uh, on the show, on the blog, in my books, in my podcasts to make it successful, to make it at minimum sustainable, but at maximum highly successful And I'm not talking about just monetarily. Monetarily is fine. It's a a benefit of giving value to the world. And then you receive money for that value. And it's an equal exchange. I'm talking about successful in every way. And one of those ways is getting into alignment with your personality, with who you are at your deepest level and putting that into the world. Yes, it could mean showing up authentically. With my friend, she's doing something now that puts her into alignment with her personality to a T. For example, she doesn't want to show her face on camera, so she doesn't. She thinks that she should because it might help her. It might gain her more viewers. But I'm like, why do that? Your formula already works. Don't put your face on camera, especially if you're in alignment with it. Because your personality is going to come out more if your face isn't on camera. I don't know if she wants me to share what she does. So that's why I'm not mentioning her name or anything like that. But when she told me, when she told me this, when she said, you know, I'm not sure if I should put my face on camera. I really don't want to do it. I want a certain level of privacy. 
I saw her videos and I was like, you don't have to. What you're doing works. You have the formula. And she was still doubting herself because she would compare herself to the other people online that have been there for years and have more views and have more uh, comments. And I'm like, how can you compare yourself just a few months in to people that have been doing this for years? Or how can you compare yourself just a few months in to someone who maybe even got lucky and was the first person to talk about it and became a huge success, viral success, because they're the exception. You can't. You can't compare. I said that I experienced this too. When I first created my show, I was comparing download numbers. I was comparing popularity. I was comparing all kinds of things to other people's shows. And of course, the tendency is to look at popular things and compare yourself to something popular. I'm comparing myself to that amazing looking guy over there. I suddenly feel inferior. I'm worthless. There's just no point in comparing yourself to someone else at all, (laughs) whether they're popular or not. Or if you're going to compare yourself to someone, find someone that's not popular. Find someone that is, I hate to say this, less attractive than you. (laughs) Find someone who isn't as smart as you. Find someone that uh, dresses um, not as nicely as you. Or if you don't dress well, find someone who dresses even less well. (laughs) Because when you compare like that, you feel worthy. You feel even a little superior. I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying let's feed our ego to that point. I'm saying that why compare yourself to someone that you know you feel inferior to? That's a waste of time and a waste of your focus and energy when what you could be doing is investing your time, your focus, and energy into something that fits your personality, that fits your characteristics. And in the case of my friend who has an online business and is trying to make it work, she's doing things in that business that she didn't even realize were in alignment with her personality. It's like my girlfriend. She wants to create a podcast. And if she does, I'll share it with you someday and maybe you can tune in and listen to it. But she wants to talk about things that really resonate with her. I mean, things that she can be passionate about instead of throwing on a mask and going, hello, my name is Paul. Welcome to the overwhelmed brain. And having some sort of fake on-air personality or fake public persona. She doesn't want to wear a mask. When you wear a mask, but then you lead something wearing that mask, you have to show up as always on. It's like the uh, customer service rep that always has to smile at every customer, even when they had a crappy night the night before or are having a crappy day today. They still have to smile. They still have to be nice when they don't want to be nice. That's hard. It's hard to do. I've been in that position where you always have to be on. But imagine if you put your full personality, your full persona into whatever you did and you created whatever you were creating with you in mind. This is who I am. This is how I am most comfortable. This is how I work best. Just like my friend, I don't want to show my face on camera. Don't. You're building a platform that's already working. She doesn't realize how much success she's building now even though she's still not at a level she wants to be, 
she can expand from there because she is in alignment. Her personality, her qualities, her intelligence is all in alignment with what she's doing. And it's already working. She just doesn't think she's a success because she's comparing herself to other people that have been doing it for years and have more views, have more subscribers, have more comments. Of course, you're going to feel inferior and you're never going to get anywhere if you look at other people that are, quote, better than you, richer than you, are more popular than you, are better looking than you. You'll never feel worthy if all you do is compare. For me, it took me one instance of someone reaching out to me, um, one of my online friends, I think, and telling me how their podcast was doing. And me going, oh my God, you're only getting X number of downloads a day? I mean, that's how the podcasters, (laughs) they like to gauge how they're doing by counting the number of downloads they receive every day or every week or every month. And when I was in that mind space, I would look at my numbers and go, wow, I'm getting 10 times as many downloads as you. Uh, (laughs) Suddenly I feel like, I wonder if they think they're doing a bad job because they're looking at me. When in reality, uh, you're only going to reach the people that want to listen. And those people might need the message that you're out there giving. I mean, in the podcast world, that's what happens is that you create a show and then you reach the people that want to hear you. And that could be 1 billion people or it could be 100 people. But all of them need or want what you're saying. So the idea isn't to count the number of downloads or listeners. It's to gauge how much value you're giving to the people that are listening to you. When I shifted my focus from how many downloads a day do I get to how much value can I give, how much knowledge can I share, then the numbers rose on their own. I stopped thinking about advertising, marketing, getting out on social media. I stopped thinking about all that stuff and just said, what do I have to share? What do I have to give? What can I do? for people instead of what am I getting for myself? That doesn't mean I don't seek ways to sustain what I do. I do coaching. I make an income. But I found that as I chose to give to others, I became more in alignment with who I am. And that's what I was telling my friend. I was like, as you do this, you stay in alignment with who you are. Then it automatically becomes a success. And a lot of people are afraid to do that. People are afraid to show up authentically. If I show up as authentically me, I might not be good enough. I might not be smart enough. They might see right through me. You know, the imposter syndrome. They might see me as an imposter. You'll always know something more than someone else out there, which means you are already a teacher. You're already someone of value that can provide value to someone else. And you cannot provide too much value to people who know more than you. So you don't compare yourself to people that know more than you because it doesn't matter. They're not listening to you. They're not watching you. They may not even care about you or maybe they do. I don't know. But the idea isn't to compare yourself to them. It's to compare yourself to the people who need what you have, that want what you have. And this can work anywhere, not just in business. Uh, It's like the advice that I got with um, hanging around people. You've probably heard the quote, you are the sum of the five people that you hang out with most. That's Jim Rohn. I've also heard a quote that goes something like, um, 
only hang around the people that you want to be. That's a great way to look at things. Like, I want to be those people. I don't want to compare myself to those people. I want to be those people. But I'm not saying that you should be someone else or want to be someone else. I'm saying that when there are characteristics and qualities of other people that you appreciate, like when I look at, um, in the 90s, I worked for this guy. He was uh, in the Navy for a long time. And I saw that he was able to honor his personal boundaries like no problem. (laughs) He had no problem saying, no, that's not what I want in my life. I want this. I mean, he didn't say it exactly like that, but I, I saw this and I was like, wow, I was envious. I was like, I wish I could do that. I'm, I'm a people pleaser. I didn't know I was called that back then, but that's what I was. I'm a people pleaser. How do I honor my boundaries like that? I suddenly wanted some of his characteristics. I wanted to be him in some ways. Not always, but just some ways. His strengths were my weaknesses and I wanted that. So I hung around him more. And I found that when you find people that have strengths that are your weaknesses, that's when you create really strong characteristics in yourself, uh, really good bonds, really good mentorships, and you learn a lot. This is why I was telling my friend, be yourself as much as you can be because those are your strengths. And the people that have that inside them that they need to strengthen will see that in you. Do this in your relationships. Whatever you're strong in, bring it out. Even if you feel silly about it, but you're strong in it, you bring it out. Because people that aren't that strong in it will want to be with you to compliment them, to help them build it and strengthen it. Not that it's your responsibility. I'm not saying that you have to be responsible for other people's growth or anything like that, but I've often found that that's what creates Uh, bonds and a good family structure or a good friendship is that uh, you find someone with strengths that you don't have and you have strengths that they don't have and there's some complementary things going on. There's a good balancing act. Now with my friend and the online thing and her uh, feeling a little trepidatious, you know, not going forward because, you know, she kept saying things like, um, what if this isn't what I want to do? What if this isn't uh, something that I want to keep doing in a year? And I was like, what if you die next week and you don't do anything? (laughs) What if the world ends next week and you sat here in contemplation wondering what you should do? I said what I said earlier, which is put all your time, energy, and focus into what you're doing today and either come to a huge success or a huge failure, but either way you're moving forward. Always keep moving forward, and that means making decisions that might not be right, that might not work out, but it's still forward momentum. The only time it's not forward momentum is when you ponder, you're in indecision, you stagnate. That's when your life slows down, and then you get stressed. Failure makes you feel stressful, absolutely, but it's quicker. You work towards it, you work towards it, and then you fail. Oh, stress. All right, now you rebuild. Okay, you have no choice. You just do it. But pondering, thinking about things, indecision keeps you in a rut, keeps you stressed, keeps you worrying, keeps you wondering. I don't want you to sit there wondering in your rut. I want you to move forward and just make the decision and make it happen And especially my initial message in this segment, 
Don't compare yourself to people that are, quote, better than you, because you don't see the rest of their life under that tip of the iceberg that you're looking at. The shows and the people that I was comparing myself to at first made me feel like a failure. When I stopped comparing myself to them and said, damn it, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to come out as me, not as anyone else. I'm not going to repeat their success. I'm going to make my own path. And that's what I've been doing. For three and a half years, I've been making my own path with this show, with the blog, with my book. And I've been saying things that you don't normally hear on other shows or other speakers. That's because I'm not comparing myself to them. I'm not looking at what they're doing and going, okay, I need to do this to be successful. I'm not looking at anybody like that. I'm just doing what fits in alignment with my personality and looking at my own experience and looking at my own knowledge and what I've learned over the years and applying that to not only my life, but helping you apply it to your life as well. Because we're all on a path of learning, healing, growing, and evolving. I almost forgot. I almost forgot to say him. So my friend was like, you know, what if I, I don't sustain this? What if I go in this direction and I don't like it? And then I said, screw the what ifs. <laughs> I actually said a little harsher than that, <laughs> which she appreciated. I said, screw the what ifs. The what ifs are what's keeping you back. Get the what ifs out of your vocabulary. I think my dad said that to me a long time ago, actually. So now it comes up as a personal growth lesson for me, my friend, and maybe even you too. Screw the what ifs. If you are building something in your life, you have to treat it as you see it today. If you look at tomorrow and you go, well, what if uh, I do this and it's a mistake? Then it's going to hold you back time and time again. That doesn't mean you don't think about your decisions and make logical decisions for your future. Doesn't mean you spend your entire bank account on something that could be a big success or failure. You don't want to make decisions that completely wipe you out when you make them. You still have to have some sort of cushion there. But don't let the what-ifs cause you to always be in indecision because that's how you go nowhere and you stay in a rut. And I don't want you there. We'll be right back. I want to tell you about getoutofthemess.com. Asha is a representative for Legal Shield. Legal Shield is a service that uh, in the U.S. or Canada, you can have access to attorneys uh, pretty much any time. I mean, it's not 24 hours a day, but you can call up your representative and you'll have a real attorney call you back and talk to you on the phone. Now, the service works by putting in your monthly subscription. For me and for any individual, it's like $18 to $20 a month. But for family, it's like up to $24 a month. It depends on the the situation. You can also do like your small business and your employees that uh, will get on the plan as well. So you have an attorney to talk to about almost anything. They send letters. They read contracts. They advise you on what you need to do. And if you need to hire them for a court case or something, they even give you a discount. So 
let me just put this in perspective. If you feel like you're ever being pushed into a corner, like bullied, you know, some debt collector is calling you and you know you paid it or you can't pay it and you're not sure what to do and they won't stop harassing you. I mean, it's one example. There's other examples that you can look at and go, this person just won't get off my back and they're threatening me and this and this and this. What can I do? I don't want to pay an attorney $250 an hour. So what can I do? That's what this service does. And in fact, the guy who created it had this very thought. Why do people have to pay so much just to get legal advice? So he created a system where people pay into the system and then the system works well because the law firms profit well. And then whenever the normal people like us, <laughs> well, I can only speak for myself, like me, needs uh, legal advice, I can just call the number. And I'm only paying $20 a month. If you think about it, I'm only paying $240 a year to get access to an attorney anytime, as opposed to $250 for one hour of their time, plus extra fees if I ever wanted anything else done. If, if I were to get a, an attorney for a will, it would cost me maybe $600 or $1,000. Through the Legal Shield service that Asha represents, it's free. It's free. I'm like, <laughs> so they have a good system going on where they're making profit, which is great because they're providing a service, which is fantastic. So all around, this is win-win for them and for us. And I want you to contact Asha and find out if this service is right for you. Call her at 678-355-8777. Or if you want to learn more about it before you call her, go to getoutofthemess.com. And just check it out. There's some um, FAQs on there. There's some testimonials. And you'll learn a lot. It's a service that I use. It's a service that she's been using for at least, I think, eight years now. And it's helped her out of so many messes. That's what I want for you. Go to getoutofthemess.com or call Asha at 678-355-8777. Welcome back. I'm going to read you a portion of an email that I received that has to do with a subject matter that I've been sort of quite interested in lately, and that is uh, narcissistic parents, like a narcissistic mom or dad. And um, I found someone online that um, actually recorded conversations with her narcissistic mom, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> this ought to be interesting. And uh, I, I really wanted to like break down exactly what happens during a conversation with someone who is uh, doing any type of narcissism or has any type of narcissistic personality disorder. And um, my armchair analysis came up with a few things that I'm going to share with you, but only after I read you a piece of this email, which um, is a woman that wrote to me that is having trouble with her boyfriend's mom. She wrote before and I gave her some advice on another episode and uh, she says things have devolved further and uh, she's trying to figure out what to do. She loves her boyfriend very much, but her boyfriend's mom is controlling and uh, doesn't like her and is trying to ruin the relationship and even said things 
like, I don't see what he sees in you. Why would he ever want to marry you? That's kind of evil. (laughs) Uh, Because what that's doing is really trying to put her in her place, which in in my opinion, kind of can fall in the uh, category of narcissism. So I'm going to talk about narcissism in a second, but let me read you a piece of the email that I want to talk about first, which is, uh, I simply don't ever want to be around her, and I can't look past the insanely harsh statements that she has made. If I end my relationship over this, I fear it's over forever. My boyfriend says he'll defend me, but he will never choose anyone over his mother. And he partially blames himself, even though she's the one who created a very hostile environment. Thank you so much for the podcast. It meant a lot to me, and I have listened to it again today. All right, I'm going to call you uh, Jan. So, Jan, um, I read one part of your message very slowly, and I'm going to read it again because, in my opinion, it is a very telling statement. He will never choose anyone over his mother. What does that say to you? That pretty much sums it up to me. I'm almost tempted to say that sounds incestuous. I know that's way out there and way not true in the truest sense of the word incest, but a parental incestuousness can be very toxic to both the parent and the child and anyone that's in that child's life. It's a bad situation when you have someone that will not defend their the love of their life, the one they're maybe going to marry, the one they're going to be with for eternity, or at least for this lifetime. It's a scary statement for someone to say, I will never choose anyone over my mother. There's something not exactly right about that. And it's mainly because of the sentiment behind the wording. I mean, what does that mean to you? There's a difference between saying, I love my mother and I will defend my mother and I will do anything I can to protect her and support her and saying, I will never choose anyone over my mother. That's a dangerous situation for you to be in. I mean, emotionally dangerous. I don't think you want to be with someone who makes such a binary choice. And by binary, I mean, like uh, it's a computer term, means on or off. That's other terms too, but it, in, a, in a nutshell, it means on or off. It means it's either this or that. Nothing in between, no gray area, nothing to talk about. It's either my mom or you, and my mom will always win. That doesn't sound right to me. It's not a good situation. I called it incestuous because it's an unhealthy attachment. When a family member is unable to let go of another family member, to pursue his or her own life, to have his or her her own experiences, to be without the family in a healthy way, there could be some toxic elements there. I'm not saying that your situation or his situation is, is incestuous, I'm saying that there's a small sliver of it that is seeping into my intuition here. I I have a feeling that there's a strong mama's boy 
uh, thing going on. And that mama's boy mentality is something that I used to have. So I kind of relate to this. I, I relate to a lot of stuff. <laughs> but I used to be a mama's boy in the sense that uh, my mom was always important. You couldn't say anything bad about my mom. You have no right to say anything bad about my mom. Which sounds fine. It sounds like you're really honoring your mother. But when it's to the point where your mom is more important than the people that are closest to you in your life in a romantic way, then that person doesn't want to leave the nest. That person doesn't want to leave the security and the safety and the comfort of the parent zone, the mom zone in this case. If he doesn't want to leave the mom zone, will he ever have enough bandwidth for you? Again, this can be a very uh, unappealing situation. And uh, if it's this way now, it probably could get worse, especially because she doesn't like you. And if he favors her over you and she doesn't like you, then it's not going to work. So my bottom line with you, Jan, is that if you're with someone who chooses his mom over the people he's with, then you have someone that doesn't want to detach from family and will always value family opinions over the one he's with, will always revert back to family if there's ever a problem, and guess who he's going to share all his marital problems with? His mom, who doesn't like you, and guess what she's going to do? Fill his head with all the bad things about you. None of this looks good. None of this looks healthy. So, you know, what's the solution? You love him to pieces. I mean, that's what you said in your email. I forget if I read it out loud or not. But you said, I love him to pieces. But I don't know if I can handle this. You need to be clear in yourself what you want in a relationship. If you were to list what you value most in a relationship, if you look at the top of your values, one of your, uh, one of your highest values, does it say he must love his mom and value her opinion over mine? My belief is that you do not have that value in your hierarchy of values. And because of that, because that is not in your values, yet it's a high value for him, you're going to have conflicting values going forward. If he's a family guy and he loves his mom in a healthy way, that's a great guy to have around. Because that will show you that he's a family guy and he'll love you like he loves his mom. Yet when there is an unhealthy attachment, any a hint of incestuous behavior where the attachment is her not wanting to let him go and live his own life, learn his own lessons, choose the people he wants to be with, and her honoring his decisions in life, then your competition is too great. You cannot compete with someone who favors the opinions and values his mom and her opinions over yours. This is not something that is healthy. I just want you to consider that going forward because whatever you feel now, as you get into it deeper and deeper, you'll feel even more unless things change. His mom could say something so terrible about you that he finally goes, Mom, that's my girlfriend you're talking about. She's not as bad as you say she is. Why are you being so harsh? 
But in order for him to stand up to his mom, that might mean that he has to develop his own uh, sense of self-identity without her in it. Because right now his identity is wrapped up with his mom and they are almost as one person, inseparable. And that's dangerous. I mean, I'm saying that because I don't know how else to explain it. I, I don't really mean dangerous, like I said, emotionally dangerous. But, um, you know, I remember reading the book, The, the Manipulative Man by Dorothy McCoy. And uh, she was one of the first people I had on my show when I was doing interviews a long time ago. And I told her, you know, I read your book and I, and I was looking at all the symptoms of manipulation. And there were three chapters all about me. <laughs> and I was laughing because one of them was Mama's Boy. I was like, oh my God, I was reading this mama's boy, the description of a mama's boy. And I'm like, oh my God, this is all me. And I forget what um, she said about it, but uh, I didn't know it was a manipulative characteristic. So the idea that I uh, was still my mom's little boy was a, a big sign that I would not necessarily be an adult man in the relationship. So if you have a mama's boy, then you may not have an adult man that's ready for an adult relationship. His childlike behavior, because of their attachment, is going to continue. And I don't mean like childlike playing with toys, which is probably part of that, but uh, that's not necessarily unhealthy playing. But the immature part that maybe doesn't keep a full-time job or maybe doesn't want to you know, um, commit to a long-term relationship or commit to a marriage. I don't know. There's, there's something about the maturity of a person that they get to a certain point and they make more mature decisions than they would if they were a child. So that maturity level grows as you grow a, a less attachment in a healthy way from your parents. And then your attachment to your parents becomes different. It becomes Loving them, knowing that they're there when you want to visit and when you want to talk with them, but no longer needing and depending and having this unhealthy possible incestuous attachment that you might have. It, it only becomes incestuous when you reach a certain age and you are running your own life now and you're taking care of your own things and they won't let go. It's still my little boy. It's still this. It's still this. And then they fear you not being around and that if you like someone else, you won't like them. And this is where some of the narcissism comes in, that if you have parents that refuse to let you go and live your own life and not judge what you're doing, that can be labeled as incestuous. I'm not an expert in incestuous relationships. Um, I haven't done too much study on that. But uh, I, like I said, I get a sliver of that. I get that intuitive hit that there's an unhealthy attachment there. So let me uh, say this, Jan, that it doesn't look good, and I want you to carefully consider this going forward, that you're with someone who really is going to value his mom more than you, put her ahead of you, and uh, maybe not all the time, but for the most part, she is going to be the primary influence in his life, and you're just along for the ride. And if the ride is bumpy and you don't like it and you're getting sick, it's not going to get any better. I hate to say it. 
it, hopefully he'll grow up and go, whoa, I, I have this way, I'm way too attached to my mom and I feel like I'm being smothered by her. And if he kind of grows out of that and says, hey, I want to love you, mom, but you know, I'm on my own now and I need to take care of my myself and the people I love and I'm going to raise my own family as my own, as the adult that I am now. If that happens, great. Maybe you've got a great chance at going forward because it's nice when they're nice to women. <laughs> if he's nice to his mom, that means they're typically nice to women. I mean, that's not always true, but that's kind of how it works. Someone who loves his mom usually loves or treats women nicely. But if it's a little too unhealthy, there's a little too much attachment there, and there's, no, there's not enough letting go, letting the fledgling fly kind of thing, then it's going to be a continuous problem. So there's my harsh reality comment for you. Um, I hope that helps, even though it's not necessarily good news. When we come back, I'm going to talk about what I mentioned at the beginning of this segment and finish the show up here. It's about narcissistic parents. Jan's letter kind of started us off, and uh, I'm not saying that uh, she's dealing with his narcissistic mom, because I'm not, I don't know that situation there, but um, I did an interesting analysis on a conversation that somebody recorded on YouTube, and I uh, can't wait to share it with you. So if you have a narcissistic mom or dad, or if you know someone that you might consider narcissistic, uh, stay tuned because I'm going to give you some signs and symptoms that may indicate such a thing. And my disclaimer is this is not a diagnosis, just an opinion. Be right back. back and I'm going to talk about um, the, the signs sort of of a narcissistic parent or a narcissistic person. I took these from my analysis of the conversation that I heard on the YouTube channel by YouTube creator Scapegoated Daughter. And uh, I'm just going to go through these. I haven't ordered these or really haven't um, fleshed them out yet, but I'm just going to share them with you uh, really quick, which is one of them is uh, telling you what to do. I'm going to tell you what to do. This is what you need to do. You need to do this and you need to do that. This is a parent. Now, when I read through these, just, just as a caveat here, um, a lot of these are going to sound like, hey, a normal parent would do this kind of stuff. Again, this is a small slice of a big picture that when these things happen over and over and over again, the manipulation continues throughout the, the years. And you may not be able to see from this little slice uh, any type of narcissism or manipulation or anything like that. Or maybe the, by the way I explain it, you can. I don't know. But I'm just going to go through these, like I said, and um, maybe you can relate and uh, maybe you can think of someone in your life or even yourself <laughs> that does any of these things. Uh, number two, or it's, they're not really numbered, but uh, reminding you of your behavior. Well, remember when you did this and it caused this. Remember that. Remember when you um, went out with that boy and, and I told you not to go out with that boy, but you did. So on and so forth. Another one is um, diminishing or invalidating your experience. So you say, oh, you know, my tooth really hurts. And a narcissistic parent might say, 
oh yeah, that happened to me too. My, my tooth hurts so bad and I went to the dentist and blah, blah, blah. And they just take over it. They make it about them. Oh yeah, your tooth hurt. Oh, my tooth hurt. Let me tell you all about my tooth. And it becomes more about me, me, me. I mean, that's the typical perspective of narcissism we get, right? Me, me, me. Uh, another one is quoting other people that say things about you. Well, Daniel said that you could be a better mom or Daniel said that you could be a better father to your kids. Daniel said this. Daniel said that. Uh, maybe talking about your siblings saying that thing or someone that you like and care and respect is saying something about you. Well, you know, Bill saw your car and said, how is she going to fit all her kids in that car? Or that car is so dangerous. That car is a an eyesore. Bill said this about your car and Bill said that about this and they, they're making you feel bad through other people. It's almost as if uh, they're using other people as a proxy to tell you what you need to hear. Like if, if I'm a narcissistic parent and I want you to feel bad about something, I might say, well, you know, Bill said this about you. That way it takes the responsibility the blame off of me and still makes you feel bad, which is one of my goals. Because if you feel bad, then you might seek my attention to feel better. Or by you feeling bad and feeling down about yourself, I can step in and be the hero and go, oh, but I love you so much. You're, you're a wonderful child. Don't cry. Come here. And then suddenly I'm getting my uh, needs met. Another one is um, they threat to take something away from you. And this was an interesting uh, little byproduct of that conversation I, I listened to. Uh, if you don't come home, we're going to take the money. You're not going to get any money. We're taking you out of the will. I was like, wow, that, that's a threat. We love you so much that if you don't come home, we're taking the money out. I mean, they didn't say those words, but that's what I'm interpreting. I'll show you how much I love you by taking something away. It's so twisted, uh, but it's definitely in that um, area of narcissism. They comment about how other people don't love you or like you. I mean, it's very similar to what I just said, is that Bill said this and Bill said that. But imagine hearing, you know, your you know, grandma came over and, you know, she doesn't really love you. She just likes to have you around because you uh, bring the grandchildren over or something like that. Some of this stuff is evil. <laughs> Another thing they'll say is other people don't love you like I do. There's a, a, a definite narcissistic comment, isn't it? No one will ever love you like I do. You know what? I bet you there are at least 10,000 people right now that can resonate with that very statement because there's so many, a lot of men do this. There's a lot of men when the relationship is ending that will say something stupid like that. They'll go, no one's ever going to love you like I do. When I hear that, I hear, I don't love you. I'm just desperate and need you to stay because no one else will love me. That's what I hear. So that's a common one. Another one is they feel the need to put you in your place. You know you'll never be good enough. You know you're not good enough to go to that college. You know you're not smart enough to work at that job. You know you're not uh, pretty enough for that person or handsome enough for that person. They just bring it right down to this is who you are and there's nothing you can do about it. Again, an attempt to make you feel bad so that they feel good. Because if you feel bad, they can be the hero. Okay, the next one is, they're always trying to hold something over your head. One of the examples I gave uh, just a moment ago is, if you don't come home, we'll write you out of the will. 
holding something over your head. Oh, you're holding something over my head, which means you need something from me and you'll, you'll manipulate me to get it. Another one is putting down people you love. That person's not right for you. That person's an idiot. Why are you dating that person? Why are you married to that person? You're better than that. Even though they're complimenting you, you're better than that. They're putting you down because they're putting down the people you love. Oh, more nasty stuff. Oh, this is along the same lines. This is just an extra note. Making people you love sound like idiots, which I just kind of said. Making them sound foolish. Um, They highlight your decision-making process as bad and untrustworthy. I'm getting all of this from like a four-minute conversation. I'm hearing all of these symptoms and I'm writing them down going, yes, this is what's happening. Yes, this is what's happening. This is the breakdown. I mean, have you ever felt someone highlight your decision-making process as bad? You're a bad decision-maker. You always make bad decisions. Every person that you've picked to date has been a loser. In other words, they're saying, you're a loser. I mean, that's what it feels like. Your decision-making process is bad. Therefore, you are bad. That's what they're saying. It's not true, but they're saying it to get a reaction from you, to make you feel bad. They use um, your religion or God against you. They'll say things like, I'm praying for you because your life is so messed up. That's hard to hear your parents say something like that. Instead of saying, I'm here for you if you ever need me. They say, you're screwed up. I'm praying for you. I mean, it's okay if someone prays for you. Great. But because you're so screwed up, you don't need to add that. There's a little dig in there and it doesn't need to be in there. Uh, You need help. They say, you need help. There's something wrong with you. You need help. Um, They'll use generalities. What I mean is that they'll say something like, it's sad that you're doing this. It's just sad. The generality is, it's sad. Like, what's sad? Who says it's sad? What do you mean? She's just saying it's sad in general. That's like saying scientists say it's sad. (laughs) You don't know who's saying it. And it seems like there's a disconnect there on purpose for her mom to go, it's sad. Instead of saying, I believe that you are a sad person. Because if she says, I believe you're a sad person, or I know you're a sad person, then that would mean the narcissistic person would take that on and take responsibility for saying it. But to say it's sad attributes that statement to no one. If you attribute a statement to no one, then who's to blame? Who do you point the finger to? You can't point the finger to your mom because it's sad. She's not saying you're sad. She's saying it's sad. So that's a really tricky one. And a lot of the times we don't listen to language like that. We hear it and just go, wow, I guess it's just sad in general that I'm this way. How do you even heal from that? You can't. If you take that into your psyche, into your system, it's hard to heal from something that you can't even pinpoint. So when they generalize like that, you need to reinterpret it in your mind to saying, no, that person is saying this, not it's sad in general that I'm this way, that they don't like that I'm this way. It's them saying this. I mean, it doesn't make it feel any better, but at least it helps you understand where the wording is coming from. Okay, we're almost done. They treat you like property. It's like, no, you're my daughter. You're my son. And this is the way you need to be. Or this is what you're doing wrong. You are my property. 
That's what I hear when I hear that. Again, some of these sound like very healthy things that parents might say. You're my daughter and I love you. I mean, that sounds like what a healthy parent might say when they care and they're compassionate. But when they say, you're my daughter and I love you and I just don't want to see you make another mistake with a loser like him. They just add a little too much that shows that you're wrong somehow. Instead of saying, I just don't want to see you hurt again, which can be a manipulative comment, but if it's used in a context over and over again that makes you feel bad, then there's a lot more manipulation going on there. And um, this is the hard part. When you tell others, she always says she doesn't want to make me feel bad. You know, you're telling your friends, you're telling your other trusted family members. They're going to say, well, what's wrong with that? That sounds like a normal, healthy comment. And then you're going to pull your hair because no one believes you. It's a hard thing to deal with. And it's hard to explain that to someone unless they listen to this segment. (laughs) You might want to share this segment with someone, this episode, so that they understand that if you're in a situation like this, this is what you're going through. All right. uh, Next one is they spread lies to others about you. Imagine that. Oh, my daughter, she never pays her taxes. Oh, my son, he never pays his child support. I mean, these are lies to make them look good, to make them feel superior. I'm, I'm making a guess here because I don't know what's going on in their mind, but I'm making an educated guess that that's what they're doing this for. And not only that, but I think the secondary thing is, or maybe even the primary thing, is that they are wanting them to look down on you again so that you go back to your parents looking for that love and support and attention that they know they can provide to you, even though it's not healthy and not real love in my opinion. It's just a selfish need that they are trying to fulfill on themselves so they don't have to feel their own unwantedness or not worthiness or not being loved. Narcissism is very selfishly motivated. It's like, how do I get my needs fulfilled by making other people do what I want them to do? And turning people against you, that's a big one. I'm turning someone against you so that you'll come to me and share that, oh, Bill said this about me. Oh, dear, you know Bill. And suddenly the parent is the hero again. The next one is, compares you to the golden child of the family. Or others that are better than you. You know, you're not like your brother. Your brother does this and this and he's a success. But you, that's pretty bad. What a way to crush your self-esteem, your ego, your worth. All of this is being crushed. Even the subtle comparisons to other people. Like they're covert ways to put you down for not being good enough. Their perception, not mine. My perception is I know you're good enough. You're great. Their perception is, you're not good enough, so you're going to have to come back to me and love me and stay in this relationship and be with me so that I can continue to control you so you'll continue to love me in the way I want you to love me. It's twisted, but this is what typically happens. They um, try to take out the pleasure in your accomplishments. Talk about a downer. You talk to someone who's always taking the pleasure out of your accomplishments. I actually witnessed this (laughs) one day between some friends. Uh, these friends were sharing something that they were feeling really good about. 
And another friend was going, yeah, but have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? And they go, yeah, yeah, we've thought about that, but we're really excited. Yeah, but, you know, if you do this, it might cause this problem and that problem. And my other friends were like, well, yeah, we've thought about that. And, you know, we're excited about it anyway. Well, no, if you go forward with it, it might be a big problem. And I could tell the the wind was being sucked out of their sails. And um, I just felt so bad for my friends because I was watching this other friend really just put a downer in the whole thing. So I'm not saying my friend was narcissist in that respect because all of these individually doesn't necessarily mean the person's narcissist, but you can see some of this behavior in everyone. But the way it's played out in a narcissist is that they're taking pleasure out of your accomplishments. Hey, mom, guess what I did? Oh, you did that? Well, you know, you could have done that 10 years ago and you decided not to. So I guess it's okay that you decided to do it now, even though it might be too late. And it's like, oh, (laughs) you can't even say congratulations without poking me in the ribs. Uh, The next one is uh, the narcissist plays the victim very well. I'm the victim. I'm the one that's hurt. I mean, that reminds me of the um, the example I just gave, like, oh, my tooth hurts. Me, me, me. I'm the victim. I'm the one that's experiencing the problems. Oh, you have a problem? Well, let me tell you about my problems. And they don't really acknowledge your problems. They just say, no, yeah. Oh, you had that problem? Well, let me tell you about my problem. Instead of saying, oh, my God, how'd you, how'd you deal with that? Are you okay? Oh, let me tell you about my problems. That's what they end up doing. All right, just a few more this is obvious. They're manipulative and controlling. They like to, I mean, everything I've just talked about is a manipulation in some way. And controlling means they want to control the environment. They want to control the people so that everyone conforms to like them. Uh, The narcissist is not the same person in public. In fact, they're a completely different person to other people. I've seen this over and over and over again. I've talked to people that have had manipulative slash narcissistic parents and they will say this hands down the most common thing I've heard no one else sees the person I see my girlfriend's ex is the same way in public he's the nicest guy (laughs) he's kind he's generous he's giving in a relationship he's the biggest taker there is he is the emotional abuser he's the taker and he wants and gets what he wants And it's like two different people. And that is very common in many relationships. Another symptom or sign is that hurtful comments are always blended in with love and understanding. You know, I love you. I just want the best for you. And when you're finally making the right decisions and choosing the right people in your life and not ending up with such losers and you get a better job, everyone's going to be so much happier. Your kids are going to be happier. You're going to make your dad and I proud or your mom and I proud. There's like a small hint of, again, poking you and digging at you and making you feel bad in small ways. It's like a tiny little knife that's only a half inch long that keeps poking you in the back, in the front, in the head. And it's like, oh, I feel that. How are you doing this? I don't don't know how you're doing it. It's that toxic mix. And uh, two more here. Along with their victim mentality, there can be fake crying. I like this is something that the scapegoated daughter uh, said on her YouTube channel, she goes, you know, my mom can squeeze out a tear when she needs to. <laughs> I just thought, whoa, it's probably very true. And last uh, but not least, 
the inability to be giving, to be generous. Um, the generosity, when you see it, usually comes with strings attached. That's not really giving. That is like a fish line <laughs> with a hook on it. It's like, here, take this present. And then they hook you in, and now they're reeling you back under these conditions. So there's my um, tiny little list of some of the symptoms of narcissistic uh, behavior. Uh, this was geared towards narcissistic parents, but it can be toward anyone, toward your partner in life, toward a brother or a sister, toward a CEO of a company, you know, who knows? It could be anyone that uh, you see these behaviors in. And yes, they are very much along the lines if not in the same category as emotional abuse, which I, I've talked about quite a bit. But I've never talked about um, narcissism so distinctly, specifically, like I have in this segment. So I hope this helps you understand the traits, the qualities, and hopefully, if you have a friend or someone you know going through this and they're trying to explain to you that, you know, my mom or my dad or this person's doing these things and you couldn't understand how they were bad, hopefully you understand a little bit better how these things can definitely add up day after day after day to make someone submit to the needs of the narcissist. Because if you submit to the needs of a narcissist, then they're getting their needs met and everyone else, it doesn't really matter about their needs. As long as they're getting attention and love and um, who knows, dominance, power, there's, there's probably a lot more involved in there. But use this list, again, as a small part of a bigger whole. Not one individual uh, sign or symptom is necessarily indicative of narcissism, but several in use all the time can be closer to that uh, type of personality. Use this list with care. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. I'll say some thank yous and close the show. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank Asha with Get Out of the Mess. If you want great what she calls legal insurance, give her a call, 678-355-8777, or go to getoutofthemess.com. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, check it out today. And I want to thank you if you're using the Amazon link at the website, theoverwhelmedbrain.com. That's a great way to support the show. If you like what you hear and you're getting value from episodes like this and you want to shop at Amazon someday, <laughs> just go to the overwhelmedbrain.com website and click on the Amazon button and do your shopping. You'll see no difference in what they charge you, but they'll send us a few pennies on the dollar every time you buy something. And while you're there, you might as well pick up the Overwhelmed Brain book. If this is your first time listening to the show or your 200th time, and you're just looking for a way to put everything in sequence and follow an A to Z step by step to get you to empowerment. Pick it up. The Overwhelmed Brain Personal Growth for Critical Thinkers book in Amazon or Barnes & Noble or your favorite bookstore today. And I want to thank the patron members. Go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com uh, for another way to support the show and get some goodies in return. There's private episodes, worksheets, group trainings, and an email coaching program that you can join to uh, chat directly with me. 
I'm helping out quite a few folks over there, and I'd love to connect with you. So check it out, patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And finally, thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. And in closing, just real quick, I'm going to talk about something I've talked about on a couple episodes called um, the dysfunctional feedback machine. I don't know if that's a real term. I kind of made it up. (laughs) But what it is, is when your behavior incites dysfunctional behavior in someone else and their dysfunctional behavior incites your behavior and then it repeats. It's like feeding back into itself, continuing to create dysfunction. A good example of a dysfunctional feedback machine was, uh, I hate to say it, my mom. (laughs) When she was in her relationship with my stepfather, uh, he would get uh, very inebriated and act inappropriately toward her and just kind of hover around her and say things like, hey, baby, and he'd be too close for comfort for her. And uh, she would say, get away from me, get away from me. And that response from her incited more of his behavior. And then she would go, get away from me, which incited more of his behavior. So even though she was stating what she wants, he would still approach and he would still get closer and closer, even though she was trying to push him away. This I would call a dysfunctional feedback mechanism where in the sense that his dysfunctional behavior uh, was incited by her behavior that didn't seem dysfunctional. In fact, it seemed like she wanted to honor herself, but it was dysfunctional in the sense that it created the same responses from him over and over again. You've heard the quote, right? The definition of insanity when you do something over and over again and expect a different result I've just broke that down into dysfunctional feedback. (laughs) Just a system that feeds back into itself and uh, continues to cycle and recycle and goes nowhere. And this is what happens in a lot of relationships. It could be romantic relationships, family, family relationships, friendships, where something is repeated over and over and over again and nothing ever changes. Get away from me. No, I'm going to get closer. Get away from me. No, I'm going to get closer. Get away from me. No, I'm going to get closer. It's pointless. If you do behavior that causes someone else to behave in a way that you don't want, then you need to either change your behavior or get out of the situation. If you change your behavior, then their behavior could most likely change. But your behavior has to change so much that they can't respond to it the same way that they would normally respond to your to your old behavior. It doesn't always work. It doesn't mean that if she uh, walked out of the house that he wouldn't just follow her. There are people that are just have that stalker-like personality and they will continue going after no matter how many times you say no, no matter how many times you say get away, they still have it. So how can you change your behavior so much that the other person cannot be incited to do their dysfunctional behavior. I mean, this is just kind of a a rhetorical slash real question. Why I ask this question is because if you're in a situation where someone does the same thing all the time and no matter how many times you don't want it, they still do it, the primary person you need to look at first is yourself. 
you are the person that is doing behavior that could be repeating the cycle. I'm not saying you're the cause for their dysfunction. I'm saying you could be the trigger for their dysfunction. It's like if you said, like my mom said, get away from me. You're bothering me. If those words incite bad behavior in someone else, then don't use those words. This could be hard to accept. Maybe you want to say those words because that's what you really mean and you want to say what you mean. But if it's causing the same reactions and responses, then you might have to change it up a little bit. You know, this came up because um, I was part of a group text this morning and it was kind of hilarious because (laughs) I didn't put myself on any group and um, I just got added to a group by a friend of ours and my girlfriend was added to the group too. And so our friend put, uh, I don't know how many of our numbers into a group uh, on her phone, but she didn't realize that it was actually going to text all of us and tell us all that we were in a group on her phone. She thought it was a personal thing. Like, I'm going to keep all my friends in the friend group. Well, as soon as she did it, uh, or a minute later, something happened in her phone and texted all of us. And okay, no big deal. It texted all of us. I forget what it said. Um, but then somebody responded to that text and we all got it. And now my phone is going off. My girlfriend's phone is going off. It woke her up (laughs) and, uh, somebody else responded to the text and we all got it again. So my phone goes off again and my girlfriend's phone goes off again. And whoever's in the group, the phone goes off and time after time after time, people are responding going, wait, get me out of this group texting. And so when they sent that text back, the the entire group got texts. So they're thinking that these texts are still coming from this one person, yet every time someone else responds, it rings all our phones. So the hilarity (laughs) and the ridiculousness of all of this is that every time someone responded, even if they said, stop, get me out of this group, stop texting me, every time someone did that, everyone else got texted. And so it was what I call a dysfunctional feedback machine. And my girlfriend's like, yeah, but everyone has to say stop so that they would stop. And I'm like, no, by saying stop, then they're creating the problem again because it's texting everyone else. And everyone else is now texting back and saying, please stop texting me. And it was a cycle and it continued over and over again. But my girlfriend made the point, yeah, but it's technology. They don't understand what they're doing. They don't understand that when they respond to a text, it texts everyone else. And then my argument was, yes, but if they just stop texting, it'll eventually stop. And she's like, no, that doesn't make sense because they're never going to stop. I'm like, yes, (laughs) it will stop. It will eventually stop if everyone just stops texting. Well, she goes, they're never going to stop texting. And I said, yes, they will stop texting. I mean, I didn't talk to her this sarcastically, but (laughs) I'm thinking it in my mind. Yes, eventually everyone's going to stop because they're going to ignore it. They're going to be like, I can't do anything about it, so I'm just going to ignore it. And then the text will stop. Now, it's possible that it could have gone on all day. Stop texting me. Stop texting me. Oh, I got another text. You stop texting me. You stop texting me. It would just be a nightmare. But uh, I saw that as a great analogy for the dysfunctional feedback machine that can really continue behavior, or in this case, continue getting the results you don't want because you're doing something that is triggering that behavior. Now, in this case, they didn't know they were texting all these phones. I understand that. But they also didn't test to see what would happen if they started ignoring it. 
Like, what kind of behavior can I do that's different? Because every time I respond, I still get texted. What would happen if I didn't respond? Well, the first thing that would happen, they'd probably still get texted, but the frequency would be lower. And then other people would start ignoring it, and the frequency would be lower, and then eventually it would end. So long story short, that that whole scenario this morning, our phones were going ding, 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 ding. <laughs> it was just nuts. And then um, I just watched all these texts come in and just watched for fun to see what people would say. And some of them are like, stop, please stop texting me. <laughs> so the uh, idea that every time someone responded, it continued to text was a great analogy to every time I do something, I get the same response. So what would happen if I do something different? What would happen if I turned down my phone? What would happen if I turned off my phone? What would happen if I left my phone in the bedroom and walked into the living room? It may sound silly, but you'd never see those texts. Or you, as long as your phone wasn't loud enough, you wouldn't hear them. And on and on and on. And, you know, maybe the phone analogy is not a good one to play this off of. But that gives you the idea of uh, how something can continue when you continue to do the same behavior, which in the end can be seen as dysfunctional because it's creating the same results that you don't want. Hope that makes sense. I don't know if I explained that right. <laughs> Hopefully you got the metaphor. But if you didn't, then let me ask you just to keep an open mind so that when I create these metaphors, you can relate to it. And that will help you step into your power. And it'll also help you to be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing.